gracious Lord Jesus, from the cradle to the cross, from your tomb to your throne, you are Lord of all. And I pray that we would reflect on that, that we would love you for that, and that we would be satisfied in you for all that you've done. You are so worthy of our praise, Lord. Help us today to have open eyes and open minds and open hearts to you, to your glory, to your beauty, to the, to the wonder of you, so that we can be astonished at your authority. Help the words of this feeble servant to proclaim your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 8. We've uh, finally made our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is uh, Jesus' declaration of his authority in teaching. And that's what the crowds marvel at at the end of chapter 7, is they're marveling at, at his authority, his authoritarian teaching, that he's appealing to, to no Mishnah or Talmud or, or other rabbis. He's appealing only to the Bible, only to, to his word. And, uh, and, and then we come to Matthew chapter 7, where Matthew's... Uh, focus switches from from his from Jesus's authoritative teaching to his authoritative acts. So um, I'm really wrestling with my computer on this one. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> so uh, again, open up to Matthew chapter eight. Um, Jesus' miraculous actions are contained actually in these next couple weeks. I was going to talk about these three different things that Jesus did, these three different healings, but I was honestly convicted and I pulled even just out of these few verses that we're going to cover today, which is verses one through four, I pulled probably six or seven different biblical doctrinal beauty truths or beautiful truths that I, 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 I adore and I love and I wanted to talk about, but I'm not going to spend all the time talking about everything that I saw. So I wanted to pull just two out of it. But, but what we'll see over these next few weeks is Jesus's authority over illnesses and diseases and, uh, and how that plays out and who that plays out with. And when I think of grave illnesses and medical conditions uh, that take people's lives, honestly, even though right now coronavirus is the hot topic, I honestly think of cancer. I've lost a father-in-law to cancer. I've, I've, I've watched people waste away due to cancer. I've seen people uh, get cancer, go through chemotherapy, go through various treatments. I've seen it work. I've seen it not work. I've seen, uh, we've seen it from a person go be done in one surgery to a person that has to go through it over and over and over again. Cancer seems to come, honestly, without rhyme or reason. And so, uh, just one story, several years ago, when my wife and I had just gotten married, we weren't married that long, um, I, uh, I, I just happened to be going to bed, 
opened up Facebook on my phone or my tablet, whatever I was looking at, and I saw a post from a friend of mine who had a wife who was the sweetest, kindest, uh, most wonderful person. Um, she was a short little girl. I mean, she was, she, was, she was three inches, if I remember correctly, from being declared a midget. That's how short she was. Um, but she was just the funniest lady. And a friend of mine, uh, his, his, or her husband, posted that she came home from work, said she had a really bad headache, and collapsed in their apartment. And he couldn't wake her. And he had to call 911, and the ambulance came, and they rushed her to the emergency room. And they had no idea what was going on, and he was asking for prayer. And so I prayed, and I, 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 I was... I, I, struggled with it, and I didn't really sleep much that, that night, just waiting for a response. And I ended up texting him and just saying, hey, however I can be praying. You know, that's the, that's the coy, shy Christian way of, of trying to, like, uh, invade into other people's personal business, right? Oh, how can I be praying for you? Uh, <laughs> but I, I, re I, I reached out, and I just said, hey, how can I be praying? Um, and he didn't reply. And so I Fell asleep eventually, woke up the next morning, still no response, nothing on Facebook, nothing. And I drove to work, and I'm sitting in the parking lot, and my phone buzzes. And I look at my phone, and she died. She had died that morning. Turned out she had a terminal brain tumor. No symptoms, nothing. Just came home from work. It had grown to the point that it had now pressed on something vital in her brain and she died. This chunk of rebellious flesh had killed a friend of mine. So she was, she was in her 20s, she had no kids, but she was great with kids, and she loved kids, and her job was at a preschool. Um, she, she'd wanted kids, wanted several kids. And we used to, uh, I went to college with her and met her husband later, but we would sit in a group and we'd be talking about all our plans for the future. We, she would laugh about how she, she wanted to have you know, three or four kids and she wanted them to always be mad at each other because she loved being a peacemaker and she wanted to be able to go between it. And she, now she was gone, just gone gone to be with her Lord. She knew, she knew Christ. And now at that point, she was rejoicing and praising the beauty of Jesus, which is something she was all about was the beauty of Christ. And, uh, and there I was sitting in my car. She was with Christ. I'm sitting in my car, staring at my phone, feeling helpless. There's really nothing I could do. I mean, I was glad that he had texted me, but, you know, what am I to do? Except pray. And I remember praying at that point, something, something to the extent of, if you will, Lord, or if, if, if you're willing, uh, you can make this situation okay. Not just with me, but with her husband, with her family, and you can do whatever you want. And I trust that you'll work this for your glory and their good. Shine in the midst of this, of this suffering. Um, and I'm glad that you worked it for Jenica to be, Jenica was the wife. I'm glad you worked it for Jenica to be with you. So then I called my friend, asked if he needed anything. He said, oh, I'm surrounded with friends and family. Like, I'm just in shock. Um, and I told him I'd been praying for him, and he said, thank you. Um, and honestly, that was, that was about it. I went into my work, and I told my boss what had happened, and he said, if you have to go home, go home. 
I ended up taking a few calls. I worked in a call center, taking a few calls, and I just I couldn't concentrate. I mean, I was in shock. Um, and, uh, and I ended up going home that day. And Rachel understood. And, um, but, but yeah, it, it was just surprising, an illness. And suffering and tragedy really are inevitable to all of us, aren't they? All of us. There's always something to afflict every single soul, every heart, every mind. Sometimes it's cancer. Sometimes it's an unexpected death. Other times it's depression. Maybe it's chronic pain, financial struggles. And what do we do in those points? How do we approach God? Sometimes we cry out in rage, selfish rage. Why God? Why me? as if I'm the center of the universe and God is there to serve me. We aren't the center of the universe. We are instead grass that grows today and withers tomorrow. We're but specks of a, of a continuum of humanity, portions of dust. And that's, that's the one thing I can, I can listen to Carl Sagan, the famous atheist, about, is, uh, is that we, we are just specks of, of cos, uh, cosmological dust. I can understand that. But that's not how God looks at us. He looks on us with love and compassion and mercy. And our text today actually covers a man who was treated as good as dead. A man who should have actually been given zero compassion, should have been shoved away, should have been avoided at all costs. Yet when he comes up to Jesus, Jesus has a surprising response in the midst of, of this man who's suffering. One that we should do well to remember in our own lives. So let's read Matthew 8, 1 through 4 here. When he, that's Jesus, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. This is the word of the Lord. Um, all right. First, I want to I point out, we, we in our day, we know what leprosy is, right? It's that flesh-eating disease that, that you stop feeling pain, and so you end up doing things that break fingers and destroy portions of your body. That's actually a, specifically called Hansen's disease. That, that, the, 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 the flesh-eating rot where you stop feeling portions of your body and you can cut yourself and not feel it, but then it never heals. That's actually primarily a subtropical disease, but it does happen in the, the ancient Near East. It does happen in the Near East even today. Um, we know what causes it. It requires incredible medical treatment. We have a cure, but the cure isn't 100%. But the term leprosy, the term leper, actually covered a myriad of problems. Leprosy in the Bible basically refers to any possible skin condition. Uh, that includes psoriasis, 
ringworm, athlete's foot, and other funguses and rashes. So when we hear that word leper in the Bible, it, 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 has, it has a range. <laughs> uh, actually, Leviticus 13 to 14, if you want to read a riveting two chapters of Leviticus, 13 and 14, it's full of rules of how the Levites, the priests, were meant to diagnose various forms of leprosy on people and even leprosy in homes. So we might think, think of that as maybe mold that had grown in a home that was causing problems. Um, the, the homes could contract these funguses, these molds that would kill the people that lived inside of it. And what do you do with a home that does that? You burn it to the ground and you build a new one out of new, new material. This my, one of my favorite solutions biblically is, oh, you got a problem? Burn it. <laughs> but, but leprosy means a, a, that, that series of problems. It means, it means a series of skin conditions. But once somebody was diagnosed as a leper, there were certain rules they were supposed to obey. One of those rules was that you were supposed to hide, live in a leper community, a community of people with skin conditions, so that you wouldn't possibly transmit it to someone else. You were supposed to uh, cover yourself with, with, with a number of clothes. You were supposed to stay away from crowds, again. Not just live in the leper community, but if you had to go shopping, you go shopping when there's nobody there. You pull a Walmart on Wednesday at 6 a.m. or whatever the, whatever the, the senior time is that I'm super jealous of. Um, I, I, hate going, I hate waiting in crowds. Um, but you were also supposed to tell somebody that you were unclean. Why? So that then the crowds themselves could shout, unclean, unclean, so that you would part the sea of people and nobody would come near you. That, however, is not listed in any of the gospel accounts. This particular story is actually listed in Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 5, and none of it mentions the unclean unclean. That could be for two reasons. One, either he kind of snuck in, or that was just common practice. It was People would shout unclean unclean, and so none of the gospel writers saw fit to include it. And that was actually pretty, that was a, 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 a thing that they did, not just in Israel, but all over, because they picked it up from Israel, and they're like, yeah, you know, that's a pretty good idea. We should, we should do that. So it was pretty commonplace. And I'm thinking that's what happened to this guy. This guy is approaching Jesus. Uh, Jesus comes down from the mountain, from the Sermon on the Mount. He's probably exhausted which I can only speak from personal experience, that when I'm done preaching, I'm like shot for the day. My Sunday is like go home, uh, watch TV, and try and keep my kids from killing each other. So Jesus is probably exhausted. He's got this crowd around him. Here comes this leper. And what does he do? Oh, I also want to mention, by the way, that, that, that Mark and Luke contain this story in a separate time period. So uh, they, they do not include it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. They include it uh, at a different point in Jesus' ministry. 
So I just want to point that out. There's ways that I could spend trying to harmonize it, but what I want to point out instead, not, not the harmonization of it, but, but point that every single gospel story got this basic story the exact same. So I'm going to preach this as Matthew writes it. So I could get argued, oh, well, you know, Jesus was on his way to Capernaum, like in the next one. Like, I, don't, I don't care to debate that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to preach the way that Matthew included it. So again, Jesus coming down from the Sermon on the Mount, he's exhausted. This leper comes up. People probably shouting, unclean, unclean. People moving away. The apostles probably stepping away and taking out their, their, their various skin creams and aloes and coating themselves in it, putting up a Roman shield, get away from me, you, you, you unclean, foul human. Jesus, however, does not back away. He stands there. The leper comes up to him, this poor man, and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, he uses the word Lord, and Lord doesn't necessarily mean the Christ. We covered that when we were back in Matthew chapter 7, uh, 21 to 23. We could, you can go back and listen to that, but I really think he meant it here. I think he meant it because of how he says it. If you will. Now, the will of God is also the want of God. That's a weird way to say it. The word that he uses doesn't just mean this esoteric, Lord, if it's in your will. He's essentially saying, Lord, if, if you want to, if you would like to, you can make me clean. The man is not doubting God's or Jesus' ability to heal him but he's questioning his want to do it. This man pleads with Jesus, but he's pleading humbly. And then what I also want to point out, that Jesus didn't just back away, or not back away and stand there, but as Matthew puts it, he stretches out his hand and touches him. Now, leprosy, this is, not, this is not because Jesus sees, oh, well, this isn't going to get me sick. This is not because Jesus goes, yeah, that's actually psoriasis. It's not Hansen's disease. This is safe for me to touch. That's not the reason. The reason is actually, as point one in your bulletin says, the stains of sin do not make God run away. Now, there's a, there, there's, there's a view out there that says that God cannot be in the presence of sin. And I, I know you've heard that. Everybody's heard that. And that's partially actually because of Habakkuk 1.13, or the first part of it, where Habakkuk records, you who are purer, uh, I'm sorry, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. God cannot look at it. He can't be in the presence of it. He can't look at it. But that's not the point of this statement of Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 1.13, if you read the rest of the verse, 
It's actually a request of God to call, or it's a request for God to move to action. Habakkuk continues, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked wallows up the man uh, more righteous than he? God was looking. It wasn't that God can't. It's that God was looking and he was allowing these evils to persist in Habakkuk's time. So what Habakkuk means is that God should not tolerate the sin that's going on in his world. So the phrase, God cannot be in the presence of sin, is wrong. It's alien to the Bible. And just to make the case a little bit against that too, if, if God cannot be in the presence of sin, period, then how did Jesus come into the world? Jesus did not sacrifice a portion of his deity in order to come down. Instead, he came as fully God and fully man. It was not his manness that covered him from the stain of sin. No, it was that sin does not make God shy away. Another example, and this is kind of, a, kind of a funny example to me, if you read the end of the book of Job, God comes down standing before Job, uh, God's presence, whenever it's, it's not God's form, we know that, we're not explained what that means, but God's presence comes down, stands before Job and his friends, and he, he rebukes Job's friends. So God was in the presence of sin right then. He came down into the sinful fallen world, stood before sinners, and called them out on their sin. And even better, God takes prophets into his own presence to see what's happening in heaven. To see his very throne. So, I, 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 therefore, I make the case that, honestly, the, the phrase, God cannot be in the presence of sin, is unbiblical. It's, it's not right. And this story actually appeals against it. What do I mean? I mean that leprosy was a ritual uncleanness, whether it was psoriasis, athlete's foot, or Hansen's disease. They were unclean. And by the law of Moses, touching him would have made Jesus unclean. But what happens? What happens when Jesus says, yes, I do want to heal you, and he touches him? The leprosy leaves. The leprosy leaves. Not Jesus. The leprosy goes away. When God wants to eradicate something, he simply speaks it, and it's gone. Jesus does not repeal at the sight of sinners. He doesn't cover his eyes because, oh, he's too holy to see it. It cannot be in my presence. That's, by the way, something that the popes were famous for. They couldn't go into the impoverished sections of the, of the city. Why? Because they were too holy. And if the poor touched them and made them ill, it would corrupt them. God does not repeal from sin. Instead, what does God do? He touches it. And when he wants to, he eradicates it, causing it to shrink and disappear. Now, another side note, 
when God wants something to happen immediately, how, how fast does it happen? Immediately. Nature does things over time. God can do things instantaneously. Can. The word can is inserted in there because I want you to, I want you to think about that word can. Because God doesn't always have to respond. He doesn't always have to do the things that we ask. This man, when he walks up to Jesus, he says, if you will, again, if you want to, you can make me clean. And at this point, Jesus responds in such grace and mercy that he does. Right then and there, he takes it away. What kindness of God is that? So I, I want to I ask you, knowing that, that the, the concept that God cannot be in the presence of sin has been circulated for a while, um, what have you been holding back from Jesus? What have, you think, what have you been not praying about that you think Jesus would go, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> what, what, are, what are you, is there, is there a sin in your life that you are trying to hide from God, that you have effectively hidden from man and you are hoping that God doesn't see? Is there something so shameful or painful in your heart that you might in the back of your mind think God can't possibly deal with this. Because this leper is a prime example of somebody who should not be able to approach another person, much less a rabbi of his time, a teacher of his time. He should have, he should have been miles away for the safety of, of everybody around, depending on what he had. He should have been away, but instead he went straight to the Lord. Run to Jesus like this leper. Know that he can in every way deal with your complaints, your struggles, your problems, and there is nothing that's going to make God lose his view of you. Why? Because God the Father sees you through the, le the, the, the lens of his son's sacrifice. He looks on you with complete and utter compassion and love and mercy, and nothing you do, nothing, nothing is going to make him feel like you're more undeserving. Nothing. God stands with open arms for sinners like this leper, like you, and like me. Ready for us. Ready for us. Jesus was not shocked or surprised that this leper approached him. He was not shocked or surprised after he touched him and went, went yeah, I can make you clean. Oh, shoot, I didn't realize that you had Hansen's disease. Oh, man, now I got to go wash my hands. That didn't happen. So don't, don't go to Jesus thinking he might be ashamed of you, whatever you've done. Go to Jesus realizing that he already knows and he's ready to listen. Friends, don't be afraid to go to God, however filthy a sinner you are. 
Whatever your struggle, your ailment, whatever your pains, your aches, however corrupt your body is, or even your heart, Jesus will receive you, and he'll do what's best for you. And that's point number two. Jesus always does what he wants, knowing what's best. So I, the, the next piece of this text that I really want to drive into your attention is, is that, that word want. And I've, I've talked about this. I want you to think about what God wants. And theologians have, have these, two, these two wills of God. The wills, meaning he will do it, he wills it, he intends for something to happen. For instance, uh, the, 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 the new heavens and the new earth, they are a will. The salvation of sinners, that's a will. God will do these things. But then there's the other will, the, the wants. Jesus wants, or God wants to do certain things, um, and, and that's his desire. They overlap. <laughs> if God wants to do something, he will do it. There's a, there's a line from The Shack. I don't know if you've read The Shack by William P. Young. I've met the guy. He did not impress me. Um, and my, his, his job was not to impress me. That's not what I mean to imply, but man, oh. Anyway, there's this line about a fish. And Jesus is in a boat with Mac, the main character. They're in a boat, and there's this fish, and Jesus looks at this fish, and he goes, oh, I love that fish. I can't catch him. He's too slippery. Keeps getting away from me. I wish I could catch him, but I can't. Oh, I love that fish. That is heresy. Blatant, unfiltered heresy. When God wants something to happen, he does it. When God intends for you to repent of a sin, he brings it out of you so that you do repent. You are not just a passive agent. You are indeed somebody that wants the repentance, that works the repentance, that, 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 that tries to eradicate a sin from your own self. But you know what? It only leaves when God wants it to leave. There are some out there who think they can force God to do their bidding. Maybe they can say the right word, or, or they can pay the right amount of money, to the right ministry, and then and only then will God listen to them. To think that we can command God's omnipotent power is absolute stupidity. See, omnipotence without omniscience is dangerous. All powerfulness without all-knowingness, would destroy this planet faster than anything else. Imagine if you, you and you alone, could command the power of God. Would you do something that would probably hurt somebody else? Yeah. Yeah, you would. Whether it's you get to work on time and then somebody else gets in a car accident, whether it's you let somebody prosper while somebody else fails and, and suffers and struggles, Omnipotent power is dangerous. That is actually the point of Bruce Almighty with Jim Carrey. If you've ever seen that movie, that movie's hilarious. And you know what? 
Jim Carrey as God screws everything up. Go figure if you know Jim Carrey. But, but he messes everything up. That was supposed to be the metaphor of the movie. It's kind of lost if you're, if you're just watching it for the comedy act. But, but Bruce, this guy, this character Bruce is given God's all-powerfulness, but he doesn't know what's best. He has no clue. And he makes the craziest mistakes. To think that we can command God to do anything is absolute and utter hubris. It's pride. It's, 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 it's stupid. And there's another view out there that ascribes too much power to the power of prayer. Um, have you ever heard the phrase, be careful what you pray for, you might just, want, you might just get it? That's actually a book title. Did you know that? It was a book. It was a book written in the early 90s. It was reprinted in the 2000s by this gentleman by the name of uh, Larry Dossey. Dossey. Um, it was, uh, he's a medical doctor. He's actually a New Age guru. Uh, he was featured on Oprah and endorsed by Oprah. Um, so the phrase, be careful what you pray for, you might just get it, is, actually, is also alien to the Bible. By the way, I was kind of kind of surprised by that. Um, but that's been circled around, so repent. Uh, <laughs> but this leper, when he goes to God, he doesn't try to command Jesus' power. He actually says to God, if you want to do this, you'll do it. He goes with humility. He knows God can do it. He actually, he's, he actually says it. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He prayed for help humbly. Again, the only question, the question was not God's ability. It was simply God's willingness. How have you been hindered in your prayers? Have you been hindered uh, because maybe you're afraid that God is going to grant your prayer request? Have you thought that maybe he's not all-knowing and that he's not, uh, not going to do what's best? Not just best for you, but best for his glory? Have you sinfully put yourself in the center of the universe, assuming that God is there to serve you, going, God, why me? God, why am I suffering? God, why, why do you make me go through these things? Well, because it's what's best. And we're not willing to admit that, especially if we're in a terrible position. We might not be willing to admit by our own pride that we are not the center of the universe. But I, I guarantee that God is working wonderful things. Wonderful things. Sometimes wonderful for eternity. If you've been praying for something and the Lord hasn't answered, there's two things I want you to consider. And I'm just going to try and burn through these. And I'm sorry I'm not going to address them as much as I want to. But, but number one, answering that prayer of yours might actually be foolishness. And so God hasn't answered because he knows He's, he wisely know what's, knows what's best. And that honestly takes some swallowing of our pride, right? Uh, we want to think that we know what's best for us. And number two, if God hasn't answered your prayers, perhaps the problem 
isn't the situation you're praying over. Perhaps the problem is actually you. And I'm looking at the corner where there's nobody because I don't want to look at anybody when I say that. The problem is you. <laughs> but have you looked into your own heart and motives when you continue to pray, God, fix this for me. God, fix this for me. Think of that sentence. Fix this for me. Who does God work for? God doesn't share his glory with anyone. He shares it all to himself. So when, when we, 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 we pridefully say, God, you need to do this for me, we're praying wrongly. If that's the way your prayer is coming out, and it's not about a magic potion formula of saying the right thing, it's about the way that it's coming out of our heart. If we're praying for ourselves in that way, huh, Search your heart and repent. Ask God if he's willing to reveal, you, to reveal to you your own sin. Be convicted. Take the conviction of the Holy Spirit as he brings it onto you and, 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 and leave the sin. Turn, turn your way. Instead, turn to Jesus who is righteous instead of relying on your own self. Listen, we all have countless unanswered prayers, don't we? Raise your hand if, if you have a lot of unanswered prayers. Yeah, it's all of us. Sometimes we think that, oh, that person is more loved by God than me. Baloney. There's other words I want to use. <laughs> that, is, that is garbage. God's love is not divvied out to his favorites. Absolute garbage. A leper, somebody who's in, who, who is ostracized from community, ostracized in every possible way, would have been, if you had a, a, a bar graph of God's love, he would have been in the negatives. By every understanding of the culture at the time, the leper was less than human. He was basically dead. Yet here comes Jesus, God incarnate, fully God and fully man, unafraid of sin. And he touches him and he heals him because he wants to heal him. Sometimes our, our, the answer to our prayer is no. And sometimes we don't understand why. My friend whose wife died, he prayed for his wife all night. All night. Yet God decided not to spare her life on earth, but to grant her eternal life with him in the, in, 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 in the presence of pleasure forevermore. God answered his prayer, not in the way he had hoped. He's remarried now. He has a child. I think actually he has two. I think he, they, he and his new wife just had uh, another baby, and I can't remember if it's a boy or a girl. Um, and honestly, even, even today, I tear up thinking about my friend Jenica. Random fact about her, she could belch so that could echo in any room. She was so loud. But it was funny because she was this little teeny girl and then would come out this exceptionally loud noise, and it's like, Wow. Something, something you don't really marvel at with people, but she was funny about it. But I, I miss her. I do. But I am so glad that God knew what was best in that situation. 
I'm so glad that her husband accepted the fact that God in his sovereign, omniscient will intended not to answer her prayer. I know he struggles. Every year he posts on the anniversary of her death and on her birthday, he posts about her. Every year he misses his bride, as it should be. But he knows that God so lovingly, caringly took that prayer of his, if you will make my wife live, and answered no, knowing what was best for, for his glory and for my friend's good. We all have unanswered prayers. We all go to Jesus hoping that he'll answer our prayers. But how willing are we to approach and honestly have our prayers transformed from a focus on us and a focus on what we want and what we will to say, Lord, if you will, Lord, please, if this is what you intend, then do it this way. That takes a contrite heart, knowing its own sinfulness, knowing its own inability to make God do what he wants, and its, its own willingness to sacrifice of itself so that God might be glorious. Let's pray. Lord, the leper coming to you is a wonderful gift. Wonderful gift as recorded, wonderful gift as explained. And I, I, I know that this text is just rich with, with truths, wonderful, wonderful truths. And I pray, Lord, that you would work it into us, reminding us that no matter how unclean we are, we can come to you. You're not going to run from us, but you're going to listen to us. You're going to intercede for us. You're going to pray for us. You're going to care for us. You're going to be merciful to us. And when it looks like you're not being merciful, I pray that you might open our eyes so that we can, we can rejoice in you, knowing that you are doing what's best. Help us, Lord, to rest in your will. Help us, Lord, to respond rightly when we ask you, if you will, heal my family drama. Heal my, 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 my child who's suffering. Heal my attitudes, and you don't answer. You don't answer the way we want. May we accept that what you want is better and that what we want is selfish. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I'm so glad that in this recording of events, Jesus did not tell the leper no. I'm so glad that he didn't say, I won't. And when God answers that way to us, it can feel disconnected from the reality that Jesus still wants us to approach him, still wants us to trust him. So don't be afraid to approach him, but also don't be afraid to accept his answer. Be willing to trust him, 
no matter what. May it be well with your soul. Go in peace, saints.